0: On the outside, looking in, in the NFC playoff race, the Seahawks have only five games left to try to get back to the postseason, which players need to step up for Seattle to reach their goals and get back to the playoffs. We'll be breaking it all down in our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, the host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening down in Portland, Oregon or overseas in France. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We are officially back in a normal game week, so we're going to be having our Tell the Truth Tuesday. It's going to be a film-oriented session. Looking forward to that opportunity to Take one last look at Thursday's loss to the Cowboys. We'll revisit that defeat to the 49ers on Thanksgiving night. What went wrong and where the Seahawks can learn from their previous losses to the 49ers over the last two seasons is a jam-packed episode coming your way courtesy of Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks dropped their fourth game in five tries to the Cowboys on Thursday night football. And with the Rams and Packers both winning on Sunday, they have plummeted down to the ninth seed in the NFC. That means they're on the outside looking into the playoff race, no longer one of the three wild cards. And there's only five games left to play. Now that's still a lot of games. Five weeks is plenty of time for the Seahawks to be able to get back into this playoff race and potentially earn some extra games after week 18. But Rob, in order for that to happen, the Seahawks are going to have to elevate their games across the board. And that means that your big names, your stars are going to have to play to their paychecks. And I think that's been one of the biggest issues for the Seahawks team this year is that their stars have been good, but not great. They have not elevated their games the way they need to. To be able to contend with the best teams in the league and for the Seahawks to have any chance to make the playoffs, they're going to have to find a way to win at least one of their next two games, which are against the 49ers and the Eagles. So the schedule, it's not getting any easier. The pressure is on plenty of those bigger name players to pick up their games if the Seahawks are going to make a late season run.
1: Yeah, exactly at Corbin. I mean, it's, you know, when you are getting into these pressure type situations, then you want to see the players that earn the biggest paycheck, uh, you know, step up their game the most. And, you know, it goes without saying, of course, you're going to need the quarterback, Geno Smith, to play well. But I think that all you got to really do is is look at the graphic that the Corbin just placed up there for those of you watching on YouTube. And as always, Thank you so much to all of you on YouTube, all of you just listening. So I'll read off some of these names here um, if you are not watching it. But you, you ha- you're talking about some players that are doing an awful lot of money in 2024. Quarterback, of course, Geno Smith is has a $31 million cap hit. The wide receiver, Tyler Lockett, has a $26.8 million cap hit. Corbin, you were, uh, you know, Criticizing, not or critiquing, I guess I should say that the safety play with Quandre Diggs—he's due 21.3 million. Jamal Adams due 26.9 million. The the two free agents you have listed there, Noah Fant and Jordan Brooks. Obviously, the Seahawks have to evaluate those players. I would throw in a couple of my own there. The the defensive tackle, Leonard Williams, at the Seahawks made the big investment in terms of trade and and he is due 20 plus million dollars. Excuse me, he's a free agent, but he's – earning 20 million dollars this season most of that being paid by the New York Giants of course but still if the Seahawks are going to be bringing him back then that is huge dollars one of the free agents that I'm most intrigued by Damian Lewis the left guard if the Seahawks are going to pay to have him come back then to me he's got to step up his play as well so there's just any number of Seahawks here that have to step up their play if, if they are going to go on this run but I think where you have to focus in first is the players who are lined up first to get paid.
0: Yeah. And I think you have to look at those big name players that have those massive cap hits next year, because I do believe that Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, they are playing for their futures here the next five weeks. I think you could put Tyler Lockett even potentially in that category. I don't think the Seahawks want to move on from him, but you mentioned the cap hits. We just showed them. Those of you that are watching on YouTube, All three of those players with cap hits above $20 million next year. And Lockett and Adams and Diggs all had their contracts restructured to kick some of that money into future season. So it's going to be a bigger cap hit than it already would have been with those three players. They all have to play to the level of those contracts. And Tyler Lockett, he had that big drop on that deep ball, the deep post. On Thursday night, it feels like there's been a lot of games this year where he's kind of been an afterthought. I don't think a lot of that is necessarily his fault. This offense just has not been clicking, but they need number 16 to play at a high level. DK Metcalf has found that groove. If you can get Lockett playing the way he's capable of, Jack Smith and Jigba's playing better week by week, then this can be the dangerous offense that we expected to see. But Lockett has been kind of the quiet disappointment this year on pace for under 900 receiving yards, and that's just not the consistent production we've seen from him the last four years. And so I think he is certainly a player catching passes from Geno Smith. You need him to pick his game up these last five games and the two safeties. I talked about it yesterday. I don't think Quandre Diggs has necessarily had a bad season, but he has not made the impact plays that we normally see from number six. Only one interception, only two pass breakups, He leads the NFL in missed tackles by safeties as well. So that has certainly been a problem. Jamal Adams is not far behind him in far fewer games. He's missed 12 tackles. You cannot have your highest paid defender be a liability. Like that cannot happen. He has got to step up his game. He gave up that game winning touchdown and coverage as well on Thursday night. Number 33 has got to play at a high level. And I think there have been flashes since he came back from his injury, but he has not been the same player that he was in 2020. We're still waiting for that first sack in like three years. You just aren't getting those impact plays from him. And and I would even throw Draymond Jones on this category. Sure. The Seahawks gave him all that money. If he is not able to turn some of these pressures into quarterback hits and sacks and be that impact player that you're paying for, the Seahawks might have some buyer's remorse this offseason. We've seen him move on from guys that they've given big contracts. So I think that there are a number of guys on this team that are making big money that for the Seahawks to have any chance to get back to the postseason, they've all got to pick up their game, not just for now, but for roster construction in the future. Because if this team doesn't make the playoffs, I think you could see some massive changes on both sides of the ball, not just with personnel, with coaches as well. We could certainly put Shane Waldron and Clint Hurd in this discussion. If you're wanting to talk about who needs to step up these last five weeks.
1: Yeah, and I would jump in with a couple of, of young players who are not necessarily due a whole bunch of money, but have not taken their game uh, to the next level as expected. And a couple of the the so-called sophomores, as Pete Carroll likes to call them, you know, Reek Woolen. Of course, I made the argument, uh, you know, all throughout last year that I really thought that he should have been very much in play for defensive rookie of the year. Obviously, another corner, Sauce Garner for the New York Jets got that. Um, but Reek Woolen, one of the things that made him so spectacular a year ago was the fact that he was such a ball hawk but we are not seeing that type of production obviously Kent walker the third at this point coming off of, or with dealing with the injury that has been a disappointment he has shown flashes of being such a dynamic offensive weapon but again it's been pretty inconsistent abe lucas you're certainly encouraged by the fact that he returned to the field for the seahawks but right now that has been a disappointment as well so Again, I think that the very first people you have to look at are the ones that are due all of those dollars. But still, the Seahawks were kind of feeling pretty good about themselves for having a dynamic rookie class a year ago. The fact that that rookie class has not continued to ascend, it's essentially flatlined. To me, that is basically, uh, you know, personifies what we have seen the Seahawks do this season.
0: When the expectations were high, the Seahawks, unfortunately, have struggled to reach those. Yeah, I will say that this sophomore class, and there's been injuries. Abe Lucas being out most of the season has impacted that. But away from Boye Mafé, a number of the guys that were impact players last year, they've either flatlined or they have been worse this year. And the Seahawks could not afford to have that happen. So these last five games, can you get players like Ken Walker, third back, healthy? Abe Lucas is back out there. Can Reek Woolen play at the level that we know that he's capable of? Can Kobe Bryant contribute on special teams for you now that he's off injured reserve? they need those second-year players to really pick up their game for them to have a chance to go on a late-season run and get back to the playoffs. Coming up next, it's a special edition Tell the Truth Tuesday rather than us just sitting here and dishing out words of wisdom. We're actually going to look back at all three of Seattle's missed fourth down plays from last Thursday night. Was it execution? Was it poor play calls? a combination or just the Cowboys' defense? stepping up to the plate and delivering. We are going to be looking at all those plays coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by game time. If you've ever been on the hunt for sports or concert tickets in the last minute, the process can be anxiety provoking Buying tickets to your favorite events. Shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy your tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. And they've got killer deals on last minute tickets with their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. If you're wanting to see the Seahawks Battle of 49ers at Levi Stadium. GameTime's awesome flash deals feature and detailed stadium map allows you to get seats for under 85 bucks right now, and it's super easy. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and the GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best if you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's right, 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNFL. Again, that's the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports today is here for 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, Rob, it is time to bring back Tell the Truth Tuesday. We haven't had it for a couple weeks because of the Thursday night games. We've had to do what the NFL teams do when they scrunch their practice time together. We've had to scrunch our episode planning together, and we've had matchup Tuesday. We'll finally have matchup Wednesday returning on tomorrow's episode, but typically in this segment, we're sitting here and we are chatting about you know, words of wisdom or takeaways, in-depth takeaways, final takeaways coming out of the previous game, and you and I reached the conclusion we can't show full plays on this podcast, but we wanted to take a chance to go back and look at those fourth downs at the end of the game on Thursday night because that's ultimately what cost the Seahawks a huge road victory over the Cowboys going 0 for 3 on those fourth down plays
1: Yeah, it was three consecutive drives in the fourth quarter. The Seahawks entered the fourth quarter ahead. They extended their lead with a a three-yard touchdown, DK Metcalf's third touchdown of the game early in the fourth quarter. And then all three times that the Seahawks had the ball after that, Corbin, they ended in fourth failed fourth down conversions. And so that, as you said, was basically what what was the difference in in why Seattle left Dallas with a loss. So let's break these game, these actual individual fourth down opportunities down one by one, um, and uh, while meanwhile, by uh, by the way, the Dallas Cowboys scored on their final three possessions, other than the kneel down at the very end of the game. Um, to me, I would argue that. The biggest thing, one of the hugest factors here was actually not anything that Seattle called was not anything that Seattle failed to execute. It was the fact that you're going against a very formidable defense and everybody is going to focus in on number 11 defense. Uh, market parsons i would argue that number 90 demarcus lawrence is the player that the seahawks um as you're watching the uh where we are able to put single snapshot kind of images up there on youtube so you might be able to watch um or i'll be trying to describe some of these things i'm going to go with the very first one the first one was the fourth down it was the end of a 10 play drive that took up over four minutes see how the ball with 11:23 remaining in the fourth quarter, and they gave it up with 7:08 remaining. They were up 35 to 30. This was the drive that did have some momentum uh, until an uncharacteristic drop by Tyler Lockett. You mentioned before, Corbin, that Tyler Lockett is one of the players we need to see step up. Unfortunately, his drop on a critical play for a first down play that uh, preceded this the failed attempt by by Zach Charbonnet on a fourth down run behind the left tackle Charles Cross. Again, if you are looking at the screen right now on YouTube, then you can see that um, the Dallas Cowboys are expecting a run right up the middle. That's why they have the three big men moved up inside to kind of pinch off any kind of quick dive type of run. And you can see the arrow there where Demarcus Lawrence is outside of the tackle Charles Cross. He's even outside of the tight end Will Disley on this particular play. Demarcus Lawrence is going to slide inside so quick he's actually going to cross Charles Cross's face and then go in there and basically sweep uh, Zach Charbonneau off of his feet for a minimal gain, um, maybe even a loss. It, re- it ultimately resulted in Seattle giving the ball up. Dallas Cowboys take the ball. They're going to wind up scoring a field goal um, on that next drive. And, and that's really where things started to go downhill.
0: Yeah, Charles Cross, when you looked at the original setup pre-snap, it looked like an ideal situation for him here because he had DeMarcus Lawrence outside of him head up in what we would call six technique. He is head up on the tight end. That is an ideal situation and yet DeMarcus Lawrence, we talked about it before the game, leading up to the game, what an athlete that they, that guy is. His size and you could see that quickness shooting inside and The still that we now have up here on YouTube, you can see Charles cross the position that he ended up in cross. Pardon my French here, but he got crossed up (laughs) big time there on this play. And anytime your left tackle misses a block that badly, really the rest of the blocks were set up. The guys in the interior were able to get seals and Will Disley had his defender peeled outside. So if Zach Charbonnet is able to get downhill here, then this has a chance to not just get you the first down, but get significant yardage after the fact. But that did not happen because Charles Cross completely got obliterated in his block attempt with Lawrence shooting inside and Charbonnet gets hit in the backfield. He's able to fall forward enough to get back to the line of scrimmage. It was, it was ruled as no gain, but that doesn't matter on fourth and one. If you don't get any yardage, you're not getting a new set of downs and, I was disappointed they didn't run to the right side because it felt like they had been able to get more consistent push behind Abe Lucas and uh, Anthony Bradford on the right side all game long. But with that look, you can see why they would want to run that play. They had a lot of room there to get downhill. But again, everybody's got a block. And if you have your tackle miss the block there against a player like Demarcus Lawrence, there's absolutely no chance for that play to be successful. So. Give the defense credit. I don't think it was a bad play call necessarily, but the execution was not there and the Cowboys deserve credit Lawrence in particular for going in and blowing up that play. Now, let's get to the two failed pass opportunities that came after this. And this is the play that, you know, it's ironic because everybody's going to talk about that last fourth down miss. We'll have plenty of chances here in a few moments to discuss that play call. But this first one for the Seahawks, first pass attempt that they had, I believe it was fourth and four on this play. This was the longest conversion they had. And some would argue, why wouldn't you punt the football here? They had their timeouts in their pocket, but it was under four minutes to play. And you're on the road. Your defense has not proven they can get stops. And so I liked the idea to be able to throw the football here on fourth and four. The Cowboys brought all six of their defenders that were on the line of scrimmage, including two players sugaring the A-gap. They sent all of them. And honestly, Rob, the pass protection of this play was outstanding for the most part. DJ Dallas came up and stuffed the linebacker blitzing through the A-gap. Geno Smith had a good pocket in front of him. This actually is a play where I think Geno Smith felt pressure that wasn't necessarily there yet and it led to a rush throw that went way over Jackson Smith and Jigba's head. No, I 100%
1: agree with you. Uh, I think that this was one of the very few throws and very few decisions, very few throws that Geno Smith screwed up a little bit in in this game. I thought in yesterday's show, I kind of gushed about how spectacularly I thought that Geno Smith performed in this game, but again, it, it was an ugly duck off, off to the left side of the of the formation, a deep ball, to Jackson Smith and Jigma. Now, I didn't think that the rookie wide receiver did a good job of getting his eyes turned around and locating the football. Deron Bland almost had his, uh, just continued his NFL lead at the interceptions, but he recognized smartly that this was fourth down. If he just tips the ball away rather than pulling it in, he just, he gives his offense 20 more Yards there, I, I would be somewhat critical of the play caller here, Shane Waldron. I, I, I was disappointed that on a fourth and four play from your own forty-nine yard line, that the vast majority of the routes here are are very far downfield. Um, but at the same time, I think that uh, you know he did get pretty decent pass protection. You were correct in in, uh, in assessing the way that D.J. Dallas aggressively came up to, to stone the the blitzing linebacker. There was enough pocket there. I really think that Geno. Smith rather than falling back onto his heels and lofting the ball up. He should have stepped up into the pocket and perhaps been able to to throw the ball a little bit more accurately. And then I think that we would have seen uh, Seattle be able to convert this first down. Again, I I was critical of Tyler Lockett before on the drop. This was another play where I thought that he just didn't do a good enough job of getting himself free. I would have liked to have seen Seattle be able to use some of their other closer receiver options rather than going for basically a deep post corner, one of the most difficult throws in all of football, to be able to kind of convert that on a fourth and four play with, uh, as it was, with, with three minutes and 16 seconds left. It was a very aggressive call and one that obviously didn't work out for the Seahawks.
0: Yeah, I think we would agree that the tell the truth, truths in this instance, on the first miss, it was just poorly executed. That one block blew up the play. The second one, Geno Smith, the truth is you probably could have hung in the pocket just a little bit longer to give yourself a chance to get the football to your receivers and make a better pass attempt there. The truth with the last one, though, to me, this is the easiest one. And I don't want to pile on a coach, but you cannot call a play on fourth and short against the best pass rusher in the world, you cannot call a play that's going to have a chance where he is going to go unblocked. And that's exactly what happened here. And from what I've gathered on this final four down play, Rob, I think that the Seahawks thought Demarcus Lawrence was going to go inside. And they thought they were going to be able to just wash him down. And that would allow them to be able to do something with Micah Parsons on Geno Smith, because if you don't have Demarcus Lawrence going outside, DJ Dallas has a clear path to get into the flats. But that is not what happened here. Demarcus Lawrence ended up going outside, as did Micah Parsons. And Lawrence, he just ended up taking DJ Dallas completely out of this play. And I've talked about it. I don't like the fact that this play call was made with DJ Dallas on the opposite side of the quarterback because that added a couple more steps that he had to try to get into that route going across the formation. It increased the likelihood he was going to end up in the rubble. I just, I hated the play design. I hated the call at that moment. No offense to DJ Dallas, but going to your third string running back with the game on the line like this, maybe you thought you were being sneaky, but This makes three plays where they completely ignored trying to go to DK Metcalf, who had been uncoverable all game. And so the truth here is this was just a crappy play call at the worst time. That's the honest assessment here.
1: You know, and the thing is, is I don't hate the play call. I, I just think that it doesn't recognize the unique talent that is micah parsons and that is demarcus lawrence who as we talked about has absolutely destroyed seattle throughout this game and in my opinion again he was the real culprit here uh, of why this play didn't work out i thought that they basically had a strategy here to allow micah parsons aggression to beat himself the same way that if you execute a screen well and you allow the defense to get up towards the quarterback and then throw around and throw over them whatever it can work out very nicely of course we know that the Seahawks are very rarely effective in throwing screens so it was a a kind of a dubious call in, in a lot of different ways but again I agree with what you said I think that the Seahawks were expecting Demarcus Lawrence to kind of pinch inside rather than explode outside he's the one that slows down DJ Dallas I think Geno Smith panicked a little bit with Micah Parsons in his face who wouldn't but I think that the reason why the play wasn't successful was because Demarcus Lawrence not only hit uh, Abe Abe Lucas, but he also slowed down DJ Dallas, who 100% would agree with you. I just don't like the design of the running back being on the quarterback's left and having to run all the way back to his right. Again, you're talking about a fourth and short yardage type of play. The ball has got to get out quickly. Speaking of being quickly, Tyler Lockett, meanwhile, is running a, a shallow crosser to the left. The play was clearly designed to get the ball to the back and the right. But still, I would have liked to have seen the quarterback make the decision to either look to his right and throw left. The receiver has to be looking for the ball as well. If you watch the L-22, you see the Tyler Lockett isn't looking for the ball either. This was a play that almost felt destined for failure when it was called, certainly the way that it was executed. That's the reason why the Dallas Cowboys won the game.
0: Yep, I think the real truth, there's two things that don't have to be exclusive here. The play could have worked, but the way that it was designed against the team that it was going up against in that situation, it was just destined to fail right from the outset and and having the running back on the opposite side, the way the pass protection calls were set up against the particular opponent, smart players up front. I mean, give the Cowboys credit. They snuffed it out, but I just think it is a very underwhelming play call for that particular situation. Up next... We're going to revisit that loss to the 49ers from a couple weeks ago. I know that our listeners are probably tired of all these defeats, but you have to look back at those games to learn from them. And there were some common themes compared to previous losses to the 49ers a year ago. We're going to discuss that as we start previewing the rematch coming up this Sunday at Levi's Stadium here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. We spend a lot of time talking together here on the show. We get fired up for wins, losses, who starts, who sits. I'm thankful for that connection we have. And today, I want our chat to be a little more personal. Whether you're on extended travel, bracing for a major weather event, or limited by yet another supply shortage, you are covered. Thanks to our partners at Jace Medical, life-saving antibiotics and a long list of daily medications can be ordered in a one-year supply. That even includes ED generics for Cialis. Viagra and other prescriptions. Go online right now at jacemedical.com to receive your 12 month supply of your daily medication. Remember to use the promo code locked on at checkout for a discount as well. One verified customer who listened to the show had this to say about Jace I'm thankful for this service. Supply chain issues caused me to cut pills in half to have it. I ordered most of my daily meds with a year's supply. I also ordered an antibiotic kit. I feel secure now. Prices are lower than local pharmacies, and I highly recommend this for everyone. If you or someone you love would have some peace of mind by having a year's supply of any daily med, go to jacemedical.com to see if it's offered for you. Remember to use the promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off on your purchase. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host and crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget, tomorrow, Matchup Wednesday returns, our typical Wednesday programming. We'll dive into all the key matchups as the Seahawks and 49ers prepare to square off for the second time in three weeks weeks. Speaking of that first matchup, and again, I know our listeners, they don't necessarily want to hear about what happened in that first loss on Thanksgiving, but you have to be able to learn from losses when you go into rematches. And unfortunately, Rob, this is the honest truth here on Tell the Truth Tuesday. It doesn't feel like the Seahawks have learned from their losses that they had last year. Three losses to the 49ers, a team that is better on paper. You have to play a really sound fundamental game. And yet many of the same mistakes that hurt them last year, they were magnified in the first matchup between these two teams. And it put the Seahawks too far behind the eight ball to have any chance to come back and win that game. No,
1: it really was. And, and as you said, the, the 49ers are better on paper. I think the 49ers are better in reality. The record says that. The number of all pros that they have says that. Uh, I think obviously the, the success that the 49ers have had against the Seahawks here in recent years uh, is an attest to that as well. But at the same time, uh, the past does not necessarily suggest what is going to happen in the future. And I think that you, just the same reason that, you, that I was confident that the Seahawks might be able to walk into Dallas and emerge with the victory I think that's the same reason why you have to have some confidence here of why the Seahawks might be able to surprise the 49ers and really what that comes down to is the one thing that I think that the Seahawks did hopefully learn from this last loss to the 49ers is that if they don't bring intensity, then they certainly are going to lose. And so I think that you saw an uptick in intensity. I don't think there was any new change in offensive philosophy of why Seattle's, uh, why, why Shane Waldron is the play caller, Geno Smith is the quarterback, suddenly were humming against the Dallas Cowboys defense that is every bit as talented as the San Francisco 49ers and every bit as inhospitable of the climate as Levi Stadium. I think that just the Seahawks recognize that there is a sense of urgency now that you have to be willing to hit the opponent in the mouth with a little bit more ferocity than what we saw from the Seahawks on Thanksgiving night. They played like a cooked turkey themselves, you know, to be frank. And and so I think that you are going to see Seattle play with a little bit more intensity, a little bit more urgency in this game against the 49ers. I would not be surprised at all if you see the Seahawks do basically what they did in the second half of that last performance against the 49ers, where, uh, you know, they outscored. Toward the 49ers in the second half, 10-7. to Granted, that was with a defensive touchdown by Jordan Brooks, and it remains to be seen if they're going to be able to do something like that. But that was a team in the Seahawks that, that kind of was overwhelmed early on. I think if they can just kind of hold their water early on, this can be a much more competitive game
0: than a lot of people think. But it goes back to what's happened all three losses last year. Slow starts for the most part. The playoff game was a little different. They were able to have the lead at halftime. But the two regular season losses were both really ugly starts. The 49ers were able to build a significant lead. And that is what happened on Thanksgiving night. And the symptoms behind that are all the same on offense. Can't convert on third down. They went three for 11 in this game. They were 0-1, turning their only red zone appearance in a touchdown. Now, there was the missed pass interference call that JSN was clearly grabbed on that play. But still, the Seahawks only got a field goal out of that. So the situational football on offense was a major problem. And then what has been the worst theme in these matchups? The special teams' miscues and Unfortunately, DJ Dallas has been the center of a couple of them. I consider a trick play on offense to be a special teams play. I always have considered that because you are usually using special teams guys to do that. And when they had DJ Dallas get picked off in the red zone on that play last year where they had four running backs in the backfield in Santa Clara. That play set them up to fail. That game could have been a one-score game if they found a way to score points there. And instead, the 49ers get that huge interception. And then Travis Homer with a fumble last year on offense led to a 10-point swing minimum. And then this year, DJ Dallas again muffing a punt in the 49ers' recover, get a field goal when the Seahawks maybe could have got some momentum going into the half. Oh, and then, by the way, Jason Myers missed a field goal before halftime too. So, Special teams miscues have been a major problem in this matchup. And last but not least, you mentioned the physicality. I'm going to take it even more specifically here. This Seahawks team has 89 missed tackles already this year, according to Pro Football Focus. They had 77 all of last year, according to Pro Football Focus. So they've already exceeded that with five games left to play. And they had a bunch of them in that first game against San Francisco. You better bring your hard hat when you're dealing with Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey and company, or... You're going to get ran out of Levi's Stadium by a team that racks up yak yardage like no other team in the league. So those missed tackles, that has certainly been a huge problem in this matchup. They've got to find a way to get guys to the ground. Swarm as team. Get those guys to the ground. If they can't, uh, it's going to be a repeat of what we saw a couple weeks ago.
1: It absolutely could. Uh, Again, I I think the 49ers are the more talented team. And I think that um, I I love the numbers that you just pointed out uh, as far as the missed tackles. I think that is the biggest bugaboo that has really led to the Seahawks being a disappointment this season Um, because the talent is obvious on both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. But at the same time, when you are going up against guys who are as athletic as the players that you just mentioned, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Brandon I. George Kittle, list goes on and on. You have to not only be able to hit them, you have to be able to bring them down. I do think that you will see more physical hits, but it's going to be critical for the Seahawks to rally to the football. So that way, if they do bounce off of contact, the way that Christian McCaffrey is building himself up into a, a Hall of Fame caliber player, then you have to be able to rally to the football. So those big hits result in him actually being put on
0: the ground. Getting those explosives down, the missed tackles down, those are crucial for the Seahawks to have any chance to be able to win this rematch. And they certainly need it. it it's now must-win every single week because they're at five hundred. they They've lost four out of five games. So if they want to get revenge against their division rivals, they can't afford to have a bunch of missed plays like that. And broken assignments and coverage, they have got to play a fundamentally sound game on both sides of the football. If they can do that, they give themselves a fighting chance. We'll dive into the matchups tomorrow on Matchup Wednesday as we head into this rematch. You can follow me on threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob on X at Rob Rang. Again, make sure to listen to tomorrow. We'll have Matchup Wednesday coming your way, our favorite episode of the week. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.